How do you train up a child? Find out. Hey, it's Tara Tucker and welcome to the Authentic Stories Podcast. It's Friday, so today I'm solo. Today you get to hear pieces of my story. So grab your favorite beverage, hit subscribe, put your earbuds in and listen up. Hey everyone, this is Tara Tucker, the storytelling strategist and the CEO and founder of Tucker Publishing House. And I am back for another episode of Authentic Stories Podcast. And okay, so my intro was kind of flat. How do you train a child? Find out. Yeah. After I said it, it was like, well, I've already said it. It's done. And I'm not doing another take. So it kind of is what it is (laughs) at this point. But thank you for joining me. As you know, I like to share my story on Fridays. So here is a little piece of me. I am coming from my memoir, Everybody Kneeling Ain't Praying. And I'm talking about train up a child. So I'm going to read. Now, if you've been following me for any length of time, you know that I tend to go off script. So I may do that. I may go off script, but strictly to like explain. Okay. So strictly to explain something that may not be clear in my book that I wrote in, when did I write this book? 2017. But I believe I published it in 2018, updated it in 2020, and it's due for another update. So I will update this edition also. You know what's funny? I've always been a writer, but I wasn't always a good writer. You know, like having a skill to write. I had a gift of writing, but a skill and a gift is not the same thing. Like even when I did hair, I had a gift of doing hair, but I still had to learn the skill. Like I didn't know how to cut hair. I didn't know the math that was involved, the angles that you needed to know. With writing, I knew how to express myself with words, but I did not always know how to be grammatically correct, how to have the correct sentence structure. So I learned that after I started writing, you know, and I'm still learning. I learn a lot even in my class this week because I'm taking what what's English 1190, which is a communications class. We're doing argumentative writing, which is very interesting, citing a lot of sources, <laughs> but I'm constantly learning. So I want to tell you, don't be hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. It's, it's more important to start because you're always going to learn on your journey. So start and continue to grow, continue to invest in yourself in whatever field that you're in. Okay. So I just want to throw that out there because when I go back and look at my older uh, copies, older editions, I'm like, uh, I can pick out so many errors. Like, Lord, I thought it was good, but yeah, so I'm going to update those. Anywho, let's read. Train up a child. 
Monica got some. That was me trying to convince my mom to get me some birth control pills when I was 14. Monica was having sex and was on birth control. Being older, I wanted some also, but she said no. She felt that if she gave me the pills, then I would have sex. She didn't know that I was curious and planning on trying it anyway. All the inappropriate touching had turned on my body. I hadn't had real sex yet, and my friends had it, and of course, my cousin. My aunt used to tell us always to keep two men and a change of clothes in the trunk. My mom's advice was for us to date many boys. Don't say I love you until you knew what it meant, and don't settle down until you're older. She would tell Monica and I to live and experience life first. Monica decided to settle down. I, on the other hand, was obedient to my mom. As an adolescent, I was privy to conversations that I shouldn't have at my age. I got an early education. It truly was the way of life. I didn't know it was a problem because it was our environment and lifestyle. I learned about sex, drugs, manipulation, alcohol, and more. You become a product of your environment, right? Even in elementary school, I watched porn at Monica's house. She even collected money at the door on half days from school so our friends could see the porn movies. At 14, I had a boyfriend whom I invited over when no one was home, and our kissing went too far, and I lost my virginity. It wasn't great. I didn't understand what the fuss was about, but I learned that it does get better after talking to my friends and sister. Later, I started having sex all the time. In 1988, crack hit the streets of the cities in the United States. Fathers and mothers were leaving their families in droves for this new high. The first time I saw crack rock was with the guy I was dating. He had little baggies of it to sell. He would say how stupid people were to smoke it. In my naivety, or perhaps for a better understanding, I asked, why do you sell it to them? His response was, they're going to get it from somewhere. Might as well be me. Frowning, I pondered what he said. I reasoned that it was logical in my teenage mind. I knew people who abused the drug. My mom even told me she tried a 51, a weed joint laced with a little rock or cocaine. I watched families destroyed. I knew it was a strong addiction and people would keep smoking it. With this being the case, many sold it as an opportunity to make good. Oh, oh yeah, many sold it as an opportunity to make good money. I dated doughboys, drug dealers, as we called them. So did my friends and family. Some of my family were actually dealers also. Not only that, when you don't have anything, you're always looking for a come up. The girls saw the guys with money as a come up. I saw my aunts, cousins, and friends dating guys with money and telling us not to talk to anyone who couldn't do anything for us. Now, that's financial. If you couldn't do anything financial for us, you can't do nothing. We can't do nothing with you. They would tell the younger cousins that we better not be out just having a wet P-U-S-S-Y with nothing to show for it. These were the days men had money holders and stacks of bills in their pockets. Low riders with rims and the bass thumping. There were a lot of hood rich people. It was great. Many of us talked to men way older than us. 
A girl in the hood can be as young as 14 talking to a 21-year-old or even a 24-year-old. It was normal. We lied about our age, too. I always went up in age. If I was 15, I'd lie and say I was 16 and so on. As a teenager, I had an adult boyfriend who was 26, but I told my mom he was 19. Now, I'm off script right now. This right here is really messed up when you think about it. It was prevalent when I grew up. These older men were messing with young girls, teenage girls. And it's still going on today. And it's sick. But when I was younger, I didn't look at it as being sick. Why is it okay? Why in our communities, in the inner cities, are we allowing adult men to have sex with and to date and to buy things for teenage girls? Why? I mean, this is something in our society that's running rampant. I, I was raised like this. I saw it every day. It was normalized. And it shouldn't be. Okay, I'm going back to Sanskrit. I would have sex with my older boyfriend and he would buy me things and give me money. You see, tricking, was this, which is exchanging sex for money, was normal. Guys had no problem paying. It may not have been an actual monetary transaction like when I later became an escort, a business and money paid up front, but it was a transaction nonetheless. As a teenager, it could be for cash, gym shoes, jewelry, and clothes. I used to be afraid to ask for money. My aunts and older cousins quickly put a stop to that. They would let me know that men was not afraid to ask for what they wanted. How could that be so normal? I wonder about that now. To put it plainly, they taught me to be a hoe. There were many hoes in the hood, but we didn't call ourselves that. To call a girl that was offensive, even if she behaved as one. There was pride in getting money from a man. Sometimes men, especially the older sugar daddies, would pay a girl to let them perform cunnilingus on them. Yep, you heard right. I remember me and my friend sharing a guy because he would pay us both at separate times to come up to his home, lay in his bed and spread our legs. Easy money. And we would laugh about it because it was a pleasure for us. No sex involved. And this is before I was a professional. But the basic narrative was, if you're going to do it, make sure you're getting a bill paid or something, a transaction. Which is crazy, right? This is so prevalent. I'm off script again. So prevalent. Why would anyone talk about prostitutes who, I'm going to say, have an honest living because they say what they are. This is what I'm doing for money versus someone who is pretending, even though that's what they're doing. You're saying, come on, I'm going to sleep with you, pay my mortgage. I'm going to do this if you do that. You're doing the same thing. You may not have an ad up somewhere, but you're doing the same thing. That's why when I read my introduction to my book a few episodes ago, and I talked about how we fool ourselves, you think you're better than someone because the debauchery that you engage in is not like theirs, but it's debauchery nonetheless. That's why you can't put yourself on so high of a pedestal and think that you can't fall 
You're not better than anyone. No one's better than anyone. We all do different things. And we all fall short of the grace of God. We all need him, right? We all need his grace. We all need his mercy. But no one is above the other. Back on the script now. Women didn't take care of men when I came up. It was the other way around. Later, we were living in a single home on McClellan on the east side of Detroit. It was a beautiful home on a block full of houses. There was a big covered porch that I loved to sit on and people watch. It was our nicest home to date. I don't know when it started exactly, but my mom went from, where are you going? Who are you going with? And no, you can't go to nothing. As a result, I was all over the place with Monica. Still, my mom had become so consumed with her life that she didn't supervise me as she once did. But to be fair, I also lied about my whereabouts many times. It was during this time at age 16 that I became pregnant. I was dating a 16-year-old quote-unquote pretty boy who stayed in the mirror. Now look at that. I had to stop. I have a double quote on one side and a single quotation on the other side. Double quotation. Now you know I got to go back in this book. Back on. Who stayed in the mirror more than I did. Although I didn't know I was pregnant until my sister told me so. I thought I had the stomach flu and my sister whispered to me, you pregnant. No, I'm not. I have the flu. Tara, I could tell you pregnant. I got so scared. How could I be pregnant? Oh, my God. I started to cry. The next thing I knew, I heard my name being called. Tara, come here. It was my mom. And I knew that my sister had told her. I walked into the room and looked at my mom's round caramel face staring back at me angrily. Her forehead had frown lines and her eyes were like slits. Yes, mama. I said as my voice cracked out of fear. Get in here. She said angrily. I walked in and sat down holding my head down in shame. You grown enough to F but not to look me in my eyes. She said. My mom was very blunt. I looked up at her. I'm sorry, mama. I didn't know. Didn't know what? That F and leads to babies? Well, you're not keeping it. I'm taking you to get an abortion. You're going to school and you're going to do something with your life. I'm not having a tower. You're not doing this. I won't let you. I cried. Mama, I can still go to school. I don't want to kill my baby. The next thing I knew, my mom and I, a scared, pregnant teenager, were walking past the picketers on East 8 Mile. They were yelling, murderer. Murderer. As we entered the East Side Family Clinic to get the abortion. I'll never forget that day. I was scared. I didn't want to kill my baby, but I didn't know what to do. My mom said there was no other option for me. Mama had this idea in her head of what my life would be like, and she was trying her best to see it through. We walked through the picketers shouting and holding up signs saying that it was murder. Walked through that clinic. And there were girls everywhere, many as young as I was. I sat down while my mom handled the payment and completed the forms. I was then called back without my mom to have the procedure. I had to lay on this table. 
And I don't want to get into that deep, but I remember the pain and the mental anguish of that day. Afterward, I was put into a room with other girls and women to rest and recover, given some pills in a small envelope and told not to have sex for a few weeks. I thought of my baby all the time. Would it have been a boy or a girl? How would he or she look? But time passed and life went on. Consequently, my mom did get birth control for me after this incident. I'm thankful that the Lord had mercy on me. He forgave me. Yet it took time for me to forgive myself. One true saying is, when you know better, you do better. Or at least you should. I didn't quote unquote know better for quite some time. Unfortunately, I started early. I believe the experiences that I had before age 12 were a huge catalyst. As a confused child, I began to equate touch with love. And I wanted love and acceptance. Equating touch with love led me through many difficult relationships and identity issues throughout my adult years as I searched for love. When I did get to know the Lord, I couldn't believe he wanted me. How could he love and forgive me? I was a hot mess. But I am blessed and beyond grateful. That was Train Up a Child. And it's amazing what I have experienced in my childhood. And it's no wonder that I entered into bad relationships and narcissistic relationships and physical abusive relationships. It's no wonder that I've been codependent in relationships, a people pleaser. It's no wonder all that I have experienced. But I thank God for healing. I thank God that I'm still on a healing journey. I thank him for therapy that I go to every week for over a year now. I'm thankful because where I am now is a place of very high self-awareness. And God has really sharpened my discernment. I'm thankful that I not only see myself, I see others. I recognize my triggers. And I get triggered. I get triggered when people gaslight me. I get triggered when people are being inauthentic. And they try to play me with the okie doke. Like, I don't like all of that. Because I know that all you have to do is be yourself. God called me. I was just myself. I wasn't doing anything special. I was doing the opposite of anything that would make him want me, in my opinion. But he showed me. He loved me. He called me as I was. So I don't try to pretend because he sees all. He knows all. So My thing is, if God sees me, loves me, accepts me, deals with me, refines me, why do we put on so much pretense and stuff for each other? Why do we care so much about each other's opinion versus our creator, our maker? That's something to ponder. Because everything that you get, especially everything good, 
Every good gift comes from above, comes from him. Everything, he owns everything. If you have a, he, he's the one who gives us the ability to get wealth. He's the one who promotes us. He's the one who sits us down. Like we can't give so much credence to jobs and to, to people. We got to give it to him. And yeah, he works through people. But the people don't get the glory. He still gets the glory. So we just have to be be mindful of that. And just live, love, and be authentic. That's how we need to be. It's nice over here. Living and loving and, and being. <laughs> it's a good place to be. Now, next time I'm going to talk about boundaries. Yeah, we'll talk about that. If it coincides with what I'm reading. We'll see. But thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, leave me a comment. Let me know if you like me reading from my book. If something, you know, what else you want to hear. You know, my solo nights, I like to just share pieces of me. That's all. All right. Is that all right? It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Make sure you join me on my Journal Without Judgment writing workshops. I have them every second Friday of the month, and they're virtual. You can go to thepowerofyourvoice.net, thepowerofyourvoice.net, and register. I would love to see you there. All right. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Authentic Stories Podcast. It has been an honor to share my story with you today, and I hope that it inspired you in some way. As we close this episode, remember to live, love, and be authentic. No matter what life throws your way, always stay true to yourself. We'll be back on Wednesday with more inspiring stories from around the world, so make sure to tune back in. Until then, take care of yourself and each other.